Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the Weirdest Thing Podcast. Yes, my name is Amelia Umpuero. <laughs> well, it was just like it's like, I was like, it's been a minute. I yeah, was like, it it's been, been a it's been a minute since we've done this because yeah. we like had some loaded in the barrel to mm. release while I've been busy with well, you and I have been busy with things. God, that's right. Yeah, that's so true. I, yeah, so had... I, that's why I was like, hello. <laughs> yeah, because then we had Shannon, then we had a break. And then mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think we've actually sat down to like record just like a regular episode since like the beginning of October. At least, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, very crazy. Anyways, this is the weirdest thing podcast. My name is Amelia Ampuero. I'm Scotty Milder. We are your hosts. This is our podcast about weird sometimes spooky sometimes funny sometimes kind of unpleasant sort of like my story this week shit that we find on the internet or on the tv or on wherever that we're interested that we are interested in yes 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 who's going who's going are we jumping right into it i guess we can i mean do we have any up uh updates i don't really know (laughs) i don't really think so i guess i'll do shameless plug and say that this will be coming out this episode will be coming out december 8th Mm -hmm. which means that i have an ugly sweater review performance tonight at -hmm. 7 p.m and tomorrow at 7 p.m and sunday at four and then next weekends uh friday and saturday at seven sunday at four and it's super fun and everybody should come and check it out and you can find more information at www.dukecityrep.com cool um i'll do a little shameless plug and say that if you go to my other podcast horror from Mm -hmm. the high desert uh amelia uh came on there and we had a real Mm -hmm. fun little conversation about the mike flanagan universe yes we did Uh, and actually we've had a lot of good like feedback on that episode so yeah you should have them over there and check it out if you like our episodes where we talk about like shows and movies and stuff go check that out and if you don't well then i'm happy for you because that's not the episode that we have today (laughs) no i'm I'm only going to be talking about racism and uh, misogyny so there you go congratulations congratulations so hey question who's supposed to go first no idea (laughs) because my stuff is super light so if you want to go first why don't we go why don't we start with me because my stuff is like not so i don't have a real i don't have like a scary story or anything this week yeah. i have a like angering story mm. so happy hanukkah everybody i think this is like the second night of hanukkah ah happy hanukkah uh, i decided to tell a jewish story kind of on accident and unfortunately this is like the worst well actually there's plenty of jewish stories that are worse than this but this is just like a very disappointing jewish story okay. about a very disappointing jew and the more like i read about him the more disappointed i got so. jesus all right well yeah <laughs> let's get started i'm here in my podcast sweater i was putting this on to record and i was like i think i'm wearing this in about at least 85 percent of the zoom videos we've done <laughs> that's probably true and there's a hole right here oh yeah so now it's my now it's my chris pine and no not chris pine chris evans in knives out sweater <laughs> there you go all right well i don't have i don't really have a cold open this week Uh, i'm just gonna say like you know we 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 often in this this political moment that we're in i think we like to fool ourselves the donald trump arrived on the scene in 2016 Mm. and he brought something new and ugly to american culture right yeah that like we were just trucking along things were going great we were just 
going gangbusters, you know? Yeah. And then here comes this guy and he just fucked everything up. Uh, And I'm here to tell you that that's not the case. (laughs) Sadly. Um, Because I'm going to talk about a guy named Andrew Clay Silverstein, uh, a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn who created a, a character. A nice little character that became quite popular okay. in the 1980s and sort of um, kind of showed that the Trumpian bug was with us all the way back then. So this is the story of the rise and I guess kind of fall of Andrew Dice Clay, mm. uh, one of the most disappointing Jews that I've read about in a long time. So <laughs> here we go. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is this I, is this put me deep in my feelings. Yeah, but I feel like this is going to turn into a list for you. Like, second, <laughs> this is going to become the new believability scale. Yeah, that'll be the next t-shirt, disappointing Jews, just like Yes. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. All right, my sources this week. Uh, Wikipedia. Uh, the thing that kicked this off, and it's my primary source, is a new series on Amazon. Well, it's not new. I think it's been out for a while because it's in the second season. It's called The Dark Side of Comedy. It's from Vice Film. Mm, um, I think it's like their second episode or something is uh, the Andrew Dice Clay episode, and it's on it's on Amazon. That's where I found it. Okay, fantastic. I'm gonna go watch it. Yeah, it's from Vice Films. They have uh, everything from like I just watched today. They have the story of Family Matters and how uh, Steve Urkel basically destroyed a lot of lives. Uh, so that's really interesting. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, they have uh, Sam Kennison, who I'm probably gonna mention uh, briefly. Um, <sighs> that guy. Yeah. That, that fucking guy. Um, also, I have The Untold uh, Truth of Andrew Dice Clay. This is from grunge.com, uh, 2022. Um, I have an article from the LA Times uh, from May of 1990. Uh, this is right after his uh, infamous Saturday Night Live performance. Mm. Um, I'm going to quote... <sighs> Uh, I'm, I'm going to quote some uh, Andrew Dice Clay bits. Um, okay. I took a couple from Genius.com. There's an article from the New York, a profile, a recent-ish 2019 profile on him called Does Society Need Andrew Dice Clay? This is from January of 2019 from the New York Times. Mm. There's an article from ComedyHistory101.com. That's from 2018. Uh, an article from Crack.com from 2022. And then an interview with George Carlin from The Larry King Show. I don't know the original date okay but probably from around this time period like 89 90 okay. i would guess uh, but i of course watched it on youtube so all right so let's dive right on in okay so andrew clay silverstein he was born to parents jacqueline and fred silverstein in the sheepshead bay neighborhood of brooklyn on september 29th 1957 as i said uh, he's jewish his father was a real estate agent and a former boxer andrew was enamored with comedy and performing really early on and he had like a knack for doing impressions um and he would do impressions to amuse his family and then he also uh, took up the drums he was like for whatever reason even as like a kid kind of in the rock and roll era he was like really into like big band music apparently <laughs> so inspired okay. by big band music he started playing the drums He was like a jazz drummer okay and he would actually gone to be a drummer in like the Catskill Mountain circuit of the 1970s. If you remember when I had Danielle on as a guest uh, last uh-huh. time I talked about the Catskill scene um, well he was actually playing drums as a teenager. He was going playing bar mitzvahs and weddings under the name of Clay Silvers. Okay. But he was really into comedy and uh, one of his earliest comedic heroes was Jerry Lewis. He was particularly taken by the 1963 film The Nutty Professor. Now mm, okay. I think 
a lot of people know the Nutty Professor from the Eddie Murphy remake from the was that from the nineties? Oh God, thousands. I don't even know. We gonna say from the nineties? Okay, <laughs> you keep going. I'll IMDb it. Okay, doesn't really matter. <laughs> the Jerry Lewis, the original version, was from nineteen sixty three. Lewis played a character named Julius Kelp. He was like a very stereotypically. He's almost like the prototypical nerd, like the almost like the the pre Urkel Urkel. Uh, like okay. kind of character you know that very jerry lewis you know uh wearing the white lab coat with the taped up glasses you know dropping his books all over the place right i, I can't remember if I said his name but the character's name is julius kelp mm-hmm. he's being picked on by a bunch of football players so he creates a serum that transforms him jekyll and hyde so like it's actually kind of a takeoff of the Jekyll and Hyde story. Right. But he, he creates a serum that transforms from Jekyll and Hyde style into Buddy Love. Who's this okay. like suave chain smoking ladies man. Yes. Right? The Eddie Murphy version came out in 90, in 96. Okay. That sound. That's kind of what I would have guessed. Mm-hmm. So if you go back and watch Buddy Love, you can start seeing the like the earliest seeds of the Dice Man character. Okay. What's interesting is that in The Nutty Professor, it's very clear that Buddy Love is the Hyde character, the Edward Hyde character. He's the bad guy. He's this like amoral, chain smoker, broody, like ladies man, kind of a sociopath. And it's all about like the love interest who Buddy Love is seducing actually falling in love with Julius Kelp, like the real sweet scientist who we're all rooting for, right? Right. Um, You know, uh, Buddy Love is the bad alter ego. Now, Andrew was also enamored with another movie, uh, 1974 Martin Davidson film called The Lords of Flatbush. This is about Jewish and Italian street toughs in the Flatbush neighborhood of Brooklyn. It's famous for a couple reasons. It's an early film uh, starring Sylvester Stallone as okay. uh, the character Stanley. Also uh, stars a young Henry Winkler as Butchie Weinstein who's like a sort of like a proto Fonzie type character. Mm, okay. And it's actually because of his performance in Lloyd's of Flatbush that he was sought out to then play the Fonz on Happy Days. Wow, okay. Uh, Lords of Flatbush, along with Happy Days and Grease, is kind of cited as being sort of the three, or among the three things that really sparked this, like, renewed interest in, like, greaser culture among 1970s teens. Yeah. Um, and this would actually be, like, a big inspiration for, like, punk rockers of the time. Like, the Ramones were very into, like, Lords of Flatbush. And okay. the Misfits took a lot from this. The band, the Misfits. But also, Andrew Dice Clay. So the Dice Man character was kind of a combination of Buddy Love from The Nutty Professor and Butchie Weinstein from The Lords of Flatbush. Like, okay. that's the earliest iteration of this character. Now, what's interesting about the Dice Man is if you go back to early, early like iterations of the character it was very much a character and that's the thing like early andrew and i think he was still like he was uh, he wasn't even like andrew dice clay at the time i think his earliest like performances as a stand-up he was andrew clay it was kind of prop comedy and it was character comedy and it was almost like experimental like kind of andy kaufman style okay and in fact, his Dice Man character was very kind of similar to Andy Kaufman. If you've, have you ever seen the movie Man on the Moon? Yeah. So do you remember Andy Kaufman's Elvis, like foreign man slash Elvis impersonation? Yeah. Like, and just for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a very, very famous Andy Kaufman bit where he comes out as, quote, foreign man. And foreign man became the, the character that he would then play on Taxi. 
yeah um, the sitcom taxi but it was very much like thank you very much you know that kind of character and he would come up like i'm going to do an impression of uh i think he did one on like he was i saw an, an episode where he was on the johnny carson show and so of course ed mcmahon was like the you know the backup man for johnny carson was like i do an impression of ed mcmahon he's like here here's johnny Thank you very much. You know, then he would be like, and now I do impression of Elvis Presley. And then he goes into this amazing impersonation of Elvis Presley. Right. Yeah. So that's basically what Andrew Clay was doing with the Dice Man. Is he was basically just taking the Julius Kelp character from the Nutty Professor. Uh-huh. He would go up on stage as Julius Kelp, wearing the white lab coat with the glasses, and be like, I have invented the serum. And he would drink it. And he would so throw this is the episode of Scotty Voices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Scotty like in his like trying to be like a character. <laughs> <comic>. uh, <laughs> Uh, but he like would throw off his white lab coat and he would all of a sudden he's you know he's doing the buddy love thing but it's like this kind of combination of like buddy love and john travolta right john travolta from like greece you know the danny zuko kind of character yeah 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 and what was kind of interesting is that early early dice man performances is it's very clear that he's making fun of the dice man right like he would throw off the lab coat and then he would do this like minute long thing. Like one thing that's very famous and no one can see me, but it's like he would have this whole thing where he's like combing his hair, but he would like throw his hand out and then like brush his hair and throw his hand out and like smoke yeah. a cigarette. And then he would like smoke behind his head. And he would do this for like a minute. And it was just like, he would push it way beyond the point of absurdity. Right. And if you watch some of the early Andrew Dice Clay stuff, it's actually kind of funny. Like it's kind of, it is genuinely funny sort of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of funny caricature. And the initial jokes were not that. I mean, he was definitely working blue. Like it was that he was definitely like a dirty comic. Yeah. But it wasn't like the ugliness that comes in later. Yeah. Like the the famous like early, like because he was very famous for his um nurse, like dirty nursery rhymes. Right, 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 right. And like the famous, see if I can remember the famous one. It's like little Miss Muffet sat on the tuffet eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider, sat down beside her and said, What's in the bowl, bitch? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Which is like, you know, I mean, it's not it's dumb, but like it's not the worst thing you've ever heard, right? Yeah. And it's more about it was more about the delivery. It's like making fun of this kind of Danny Zuko type character. Right. And that was like the popularity. Like the the you know, so he 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 starts performing at Pip's Comedy Club in 1978. Um so he would have been like 21. I think. Um, so super young. Yeah. And immediately becomes really popular. Um, like I said, he's billed as Andrew Clay. He starts, uh, Pips is in Sheep's Head Bay. So it's in Brooklyn. But he immediately starts getting on on stages like Dangerfields and Catch a Rising Star. Okay. And the uh and the improv in um Manhattan. These are like some of the big and this is like the start. You talked about it with your comedy store episode. This is like that comedy boom that's happening in the 70s. And he's kind of right about to like ride that wave. Mm-hmm. And then Rodney Dangerfield in particular, like kind of took a shine to him. Like Rodney Dangerfield uh owned Dangerfield, obviously, and mm-hmm. you know, started putting him up on stage. And so 1980, he picked up and moved out to LA and he began working at the comedy store. Like everyone else, he started as a doorman. Mitzi Shore wasn't sure about him, <laughs> wasn't sure about his act. Mm-hmm. So she wouldn't let him she wouldn't book him early and she wouldn't let anyone perform after him so he would always end up performing at like the end of the night he said like quote for 10 drunks at like the end of the night 
Yeah. And, you know, so he, but he's, you know, paying his dues. And then in 1983, a couple things happened. One is he, with another comedian, a guy named Michael Blinder, he, he's further developing this Dice Man character. And Dice Man starts to kind of take over the act. And then one night, he's just there hanging out, and another and another performer doesn't show up. And they're like, who's here? Um, uh, Andrew, go on stage. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have his Jerry Lewis thing. Stuff. Okay. So he's yeah. like, well, he just went up as the Dice Man. Okay. And what he realized is like, I don't need the Jerry Lewis bit. Yeah. I just need, like, Dice Man kills on his own. So this was the start of Andrew Dice Clay. Okay. So this was a major shift in the tone of the character because when it was this, like, setup with the Jerry Lewis bit, mm-hmm. it was very clear that the Dice Man was a caricature. Right. And that this was not Andrew Clay, the comedian, right? right. It's like no one thought when Andy Kaufman was growing up as foreign man or as doing the Elvis thing, that he was actually foreign man. Or, right, or, right, right. Very clear characters. Well, now here's just this like bruiser in a leather jacket going up, you know, telling these dirty jokes and this real Brooklyn accent, you know. Mm-hmm. And like the lines are starting to blur. Okay. So, you know, he says, you know, after that first performance, he says, I didn't have my Jerry Lewis stuff with me, so I just winged it, saying whatever popped in my head. At the same time, he's doing guest appearances on sitcoms, uh, but he finally broke through at an all-male Big Brother Association event. I think it was a fundraiser where all of Hollywood, he, quote, with all of Hollywood's royalty dressed in tuxedos, and I show up in a black leather jacket with a flag on the back that said rock and roll. And he goes up. And he kills. And it's not a public event. It's like at this fundraiser, but it's all these luminaries. And so producer Joel Silver, who's like you know, big action producer, did the Lethal Weapon movies, would later do the Matrix films. Mm-hmm. He went to him like that night and was like, I want to meet with you tomorrow. We're going to do a movie deal. You know, it was like all of a sudden things are rolling. Okay. Rodney Dangerfield then put him up on a seven minute set at Dangerfields in New York for an HBO showcase. And this was his first appearance in front of a national audience. And it was like the Dice Man just exploded. Mm. Um, but the thing is, nobody knew about this original framing of the Nutty Professor. Right, right, right. So it's just, again, it's just this like, like I don't know if you really remember the Dice thing. Yeah, no, I very much do. I mean, it was fucking everywhere for Mm -hmm. like about a year, it seemed like. It was like everywhere. Yeah. But I had no idea that it was like, I remember finding out years later that he was Jewish and being like, what? Because I just assumed it was like some Italian guy from Queens or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there was no clear delineation of the character. And that's where I think things got messy is that like, if you're doing character comedy, it needs to be clear. Particularly if you're doing character comedy and the joke is, you're claiming the joke is supposed to be, like, you're supposed to be the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. But the character is making, like, women, gay people, black people. Right. The butt of the joke. And you're claiming, no, but it's a character. It's a bit. It's ironic. You need to be very clear about that. <laughs> and it wasn't clear. Like, mm-hmm. I do not remember that being clear at Mm-mm. all. 
No. So, yeah, like I said, it, it, he just exploded. January of 1989, he had an HBO special called The Dice Man Cometh. A couple months later, he released Dice, which was his debut comedy album. It was quickly certified gold, and it peaked at 89 on the U.S. Billboard 200. And then in September of that year, he this is when things started getting a little shaky, and people started, like, the controversy started, which both helped and hurt him. Mm. So the first big controversy was he went, uh, in September of 89, he went on the MTV Video Musical awards and he did his adult nursery rhymes and i'm gonna go ahead and give i've got another quote later that's definitely gonna need a content warning but i'm gonna go ahead and give a content warning now just okay like i'm gonna quote i'm not gonna do the fucking dice man voice but here's just a few of his nursery rhymes these are not me <laughs> these are from his routine but this mm-hmm. is just for for all you gen zers who maybe don't really know andrew dice claire maybe only know that he was like lady gaga's dad and a star is born <sighs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is just like, and again, these aren't, this is like fairly, like, I'm not going for like the hardest core stuff here. But here's some of his nurses around. So Jack and Jill went up the hill, both with a buck and a quarter. Jill came down with 250, that fucking whore. But I'm punch. Or he would punctuate all of his things with, oh. Like that was yeah. Thing. Little boy blue, he needed the money. But I'm punch. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her old dog a bone. She'd been over. Rover took over. She got a bone of her own. And, like, what would happen when he would do these is the crowd would start, like, they were so popular, the crowd would start chanting along with him. Mm -hmm. So when you watch these on YouTube, it's like the crowd is, like, Already, yeah, already gone. Here's Here, this one's real charming. Hickory dickory dock. Some chick was sucking my cock. The clock struck two. I dropped my goo. I dumped the bitch on the next block. End of the story. Oh, so there you go. There's uh, there's the mm. dice man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> the set was it didn't go over real well. Uh huh. MTV ended up imposing a lifetime ban on him. Oh, that's right. Which was actually a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah, <laughs> I remember yeah. it was all over the news. They didn't lift the ban until 2011. Wow. So in spite of or. Because of the controversy, his popularity popularity continued to grow. He did two sets at Dangerfields in 1989. These were both released in 1990 as a second album, The Day the Laughter Died. That peaked at number 39 on the Billboard 200. And then in February of 1990, he became the first comedian to sell out two consecutive nights at Madison Square Garden, uh, performing in front of 28,000 people. This was kind of like the peak of like Dice Man fever. Mm-hmm. He was in talks to star opposite Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. People forget this. I wow. forgot all about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is when the, the controversy started to kind of catch up with him because he got no one would let him outside of the Dice Man thing because he was so controversial that it was like, well, we can't put him in like a normal thing. So we can only let he can only be in things where he can be the dice man. And like so he can sell at Madison Square Garden and make all this money, but we can't put him in like a like a sitcom or something. Right. Or he can't play another character in like something like my cousin Vinny. Right. Because it's too controversial. It's too like he brings too much baggage to the table. And then probably the big turning point was when he hosted Saturday Night Live in May of nineteen ninety. Uh, it was one of the most infamous Saturday Night Live episodes of all time. So a few of the things that happened. So this was actually promotion for his movie. He had been hired to play, to act in the movie, uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which mm-hmm. is probably, I think, where I really kind of first heard of him. So I remember watching the trailers and being like, what the, what the fuck? Oh! Uncontrollable. Oh! Unstoppable. Oh! 
unmistakably Dice. Nice to meet your acquaintance. Mr. Fairlane, when I was 11, I walked in on my father in the Shetland pony he gave me for my 10th birthday. Does that excite you? I don't know. I never met your father. Oh, see, this is so weird. I knew about him before the movie. I don't know why. I watched a lot of stand-up as a kid. Like, a lot. I didn't... My parents didn't have cable, so I think I like I was like a little bit late on some of this stuff. Yeah, I remember when I found out who he was. Then it was like I couldn't get away from it. I just remember watching the first trailer to the Ford family and being like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, like, wait, who is that guy? Like, it was. It's like if you imagine watching the Ace Ventura Pet Detective trailer and not knowing who Jim Carrey was, you would just be like, "What? What's happening?" You know, yeah, like, and that was kind of me with the Ford Adventures of Ford Fairlane. So, Adventures of Ford Fairlane was uh, it was a movie where he played the quote rock and roll detective character Ford Fairlane, who was actually a pre existing character, it was a comic strip character that had appeared in LA Weekly and the New York Rocker magazine, uh, starting in 1979. It was by a comic artist named Rex Weiner or Weiner, maybe. And then the movie uh, was like, this is perfect for the Dice Man. And so, of course, he's going on the promotional tour and he does the obligatory I'm going to host Saturday Night Live. Well, cast member Nora Dunn, who was one of the longest running uh, cast members at the time, she refused to appear. And I forgot to write down the quote, but she has a quote in uh, the Dark Side of Comedy episode where she's like, look, I was like living in the village at the time. And like, I remember he would, he would come into town, do a set, a bunch of meatheads would come down to the village and beat up the gays. Like, Mm. so she was like, I was not going to like support this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So she, yeah, she refused to appear on the show. She called him homophobic, racist, and sexist. Not long after that musical guest, Sinead O'Connor canceled her appearance. I think this is before she had her own super controversial appearance a couple years later. His appearance was protested like there are protesters a lot of uh, feminist groups and the members of the aids activist group act up showed up Mm -hmm. because this is the stuff i'm not quoting from his stand-up but he has a lot a lot of homophobic yeah like yeah a lot of homophobic stuff which was just to like just to give some context because this is what year is this you said 90 90 yeah we're kind of starting to come out of it but Ev- like homophobia was jokes at the expense of of gay people was uh-huh. a huge thing in comedy right. and ever like it was a it was a it was low hanging fruit for comedians to pick up and make it was a huge part of so many people's acts so to say that the reason i'm saying that is for him to get in trouble for what he right. was saying, it had to be that bad. Yeah, because like if you've ever seen like Eddie Murphy's Raw, like yeah. it's like and like the Dice Man stuff is just way beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It's like yeah, it tells you something. Cause like this is like kind of like the like peak AIDS crisis around 8990. Yeah. This is yeah. So the protest actually turned violent when one protester was dragged down a hallway to be removed and another was punched in the side. Mm. Andrew Dice Clay himself had to be escorted on and offset by security. Security guards removed a number of uh, protesters who, who interrupted his monologue by chanting racist, sexist, anti-gay, Clay, go away. And you can watch it. They have it on YouTube and it's in the Dark Side of Dark Side of Comedy episode where he's like doing his thing and then you hear the chant and you can see it kind of rattles him. 
And this is the thing about him, and I think why I call him disappointing, like he's mm-hmm. like a disappointing person to me, is mm-hmm. I don't think Andrew Clay Silverstein is an evil person. I think he was, it was a character and a caricature that he got caught up in mm-hmm. and kind of like got lost in. Yeah. And is, was like just smart enough to know better, but not smart enough to ever figure out how to like escape. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because you can see, like, you have these moments of, like, humanity come through, like, in interviews with him or, you know, performances. Like, he's really good in The Star is Born, you know. Mm-hmm. But then he slips back into being like, hey, boo, boo, you know, doing the Dice Man thing. Yeah. Uh, NBC enacted a five-second tape delay so that they could block offensive content. Uh, but they missed a couple. <laughs> so uh, during his monologue and again uh, content warning during his monologue while talking about his first girlfriend Dice Man said quote I broke the bitch when she was 15 so oops network mm. censors missed that also uh, during a sketch titled after school special with Andrew Dice Clay he ad-libbed a sexist term for women I could not find it I'm gonna guess he said bitch but I don't know like mm could be something else one thing that's very important to note is that Nora Dunn was not supported by her castmates um, yeah um, that's not surprising they, they pretty much threw her under the bus in particular Jan Hooks and John Lovitz who apparently she had like not a good relationship with anyway John Lovitz has given an interview after interview criticizing her for this over the years saying oh this wasn't about Andrew Dice Clay this was just about her wanting attention blah 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 you see him in the documentary or in the dark side of comedy on stage giving an interview during some convention where he calls her quote a real bitch she actually had already been planning to leave the show but then the the spin immediately was like Nora Dunn fired for refusing to do the show which was like not mm-hmm. she, she basically has like already run out contract anyway yeah she's mocked in the press she's essentially blackballed by the industry and it's like when have we seen nora dunn since like she pops up here and there but like she that pops was... up yeah but she that's it she pops up here and there yeah yeah but andrew dice clay continues to roll the career continues to grow the controversy continues to grow and here's where i need to give a big old fat trigger warning because i'm going to quote a bit of his act just to show how ugly it got um, mm-hmm. And where that line between I'm playing a character mm-hmm. and let's laugh at this character that I'm playing to something much, much darker is. So, again, I'm not going to do the voice. I, I transcribed this as best I could from the dark side of comedy thing. It needs a big old content warning. It's very racist. Mm-hmm. And this is not me saying it. This is Andrew Dice Clay. But I think it's important just to know, like, really how bad it got. So I don't know when this was, but clearly this was something he said more than once because the clip on the Dark Side of Comedy episode, again, has the audience at the end. They like shout out the punchline with him. Okay. That's clearly a recurring bit. Okay. So he says, quote, I can't believe I'm going to even say this. Okay. He says, quote, and then he got these other people. I don't know what they are. They're not white. They're not black. They're urine colored. You know, they walk around with their fucking laundry on their head and shit. I can relate to black guys. I can hang out with black guys. I can't hang out with a guy whose name is Ahmed. And he does a very, like, gross pronunciation of that. Mm-hmm. They don't know the fucking language. It's unbelievable. I get in the cab, right? I get in the fucking cab, and, he, and he's looking at me, and then he makes very offensive noises that I think are supposed to be the guy trying to speak to him in Arabic, but it's okay. just screeching. Okay. And then he says, and then he goes back to the Dice Man voice. You fucking cock, huh? Where did they grow you? What fucking rock did you crawl out from under? 
They should have a sign at the airport that says, and this is where the audience then shouts along with him. Look, if you don't know the language, get the fuck out of the country. Mm. Where is the joke? Like, please point to me in any of that where the joke is, right? Where's the where's the humor? Where's the where's the punchline? Where's the ironic twist? Yeah. That's just straight up. That's like a racist rant. Yes. And and the audience is shouting along with him. Yeah. This is not a character being like an ironic character. This is like, I mean, there's elements of it that do look like like a Trump rally, frankly. Mm. Um, so of course, this is, you know, he he was being criticized all over the place. And even other comedians were getting in on the criticism. There's a quick clip of like Bill Murray basically sort of being like, I mean, I guess I support his right to say what he wants. And then someone's like, do you like his act? And he's like, no. Yeah. And here's George Carlin. This is George Carlin from the Larry King interview. He says, I would defend to the death his right to do everything he does. The thing I find unusual, his targets are underdogs. In comedy, traditionally has picked on people in power, people who abuse their power. Women and gays and immigrants are, to my way of thinking, underdogs. And, you know, he ought to be careful because he's Jewish. A lot of the people who pick on those kind of groups, the Jews are on that list. <laughs> George George Carlin outing Andrew Dice plays yeah. Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Just no, and he's just no, uh, yeah. And I'm like, I co-signed that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, valid. Valid. Yeah, because I don't think a lot of people knew he was Jewish at the time. So where things started to kind of fall apart. So when when The Adventures of Ford Fairlane came out, it bombed. No one went to see it. Critics hated it. Roger Ebert gave it one star. He said it was loud, ugly, and mean-spirited. And Dice Clay was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award. And then also while promoting Ford Fairlane, he appeared on the Arsenio Hall show. And at one point, while talking about the difference between the Dice Man and, quote, Andrew Clay, he stands up and he starts talking about his early struggles as a comedian. And, like, you know, I'll tell you who Andrew Clay is. Andrew Clay came out to L.A. with nothing and blah, blah, blah. And as he's talking, he starts to get choked up. And, he, and you can hear it in his voice. He, he's, like, about to cry. And then he sna- he starts doing his, like, ooh, 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 you know, throwing his arms out with the cigarette thing. Wow. To snap back into the Dice Man character. And then he kind of turns it all into a joke. But this started a backlash amongst his fans because this was him going, quote, pussy. Wow. So this was like, this was the beginning of the end of the meteoric rise of Andrew Dice Clay. Wow. Yeah. I, that's just like, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's just, it's disappointing. Do you know what uh, I mean? Well, but it's like, it's, it's disappointing because I think it's like so clear that that to me says I am this character that i've created that is my act Mm -hmm. that is making me a lot of money is really when you boil it all down is really just a defense mechanism to take care of like a very you know scared kid who's like doing this very scary thing like on his own you know what i mean that's what that says to me and so then to have that and then to have fans be like pussy is just Yeah, it's just disappointing. Well, and that's why, and that's why he got caught. He got trapped in this because, like, yeah. you know, like I said, there are these moments where you see his humanity wanting to come through. And I saw, I watched that Arsenio Hall thing, and I'm like, that's one of those moments where you see mm. it trying to come out, and yeah. then he snaps back into the Dice Man, but it was like too late. Yeah, like the douchebags were already like pussy. And this like reminds me of you know Trump. It kind of got away from him all of a sudden, like when he was like, no, you should take your vaccination, people like 
instead of yelling at him. It's like yeah. once you unleash these forces, these once you like give people this permission, yeah, to like unleash their id, yeah, you can't bottle it back up, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't like overnight, and you know, and to be fair, Andrew Dice Clay, it's not like he ever went away. He never disappeared. Right. But there was no more like big Madison Square Garden. You know, they did cut a concert film, Dice Rules, out of his Madison Square Garden performances, but a lot of theaters refused to screen it. 20th Century Fox, which who was supposed to release the film, dropped it. Mm. It was eventually released by an indie distributor, Seven Arts. In 1993, he released No Apologies, a pay-per-view special. It went on to become a, the highest grossing non-sports pay-per-view event of that year. Followed it with a second mm. special, The Valentine's Day Massacre in 1994, which I think was somewhat less, but I think still pretty successful. Mm-hmm. But things were starting to get pretty tired by 1995. Um, he was getting pretty tired by 1995 i think he was really wanting to like break out of this yeah so i don't know if you remember this but he would have had a very i think i I didn't look at how long it lasted but he had a sitcom called bless this house on cbs it was like a family sitcom it was his first attempt to kind of try to move away from the dice man character who he himself admitted had quote sort of gone or sort of gotten out of hand Mm. and then his own stand-up act he started to kind of not he kind of softened a bit. He started talking more about his life as a husband and father, but like with an edge. Like he's still dirty, he's still working blue, but it's like less of these like picking on women and gay people and black people yeah. and more like observational family humor kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like he's had this like fits and starts kind of relationship with Dice Man ever since because he'll he'll like try to get away from it and then he snaps back to it. In 1996, he returned to the Diceman character for an HBO special called Assume the Position. Uh, he also began appearing in character on the Opie and Anthony show in 1998. Mm. And it's just kind of been that way ever since. He was appearing as a version of himself on the show Entourage, I think, for a while. Okay. Um, which tracks, frankly. So where is he at today? So like I said, he never really went away. There's there's kind of two versions of him out there that you see. You'll still see a version of the Dice Man. You'll also see this more kind of Andrew Clay or Andrew Silverstein persona, which is more the like the the sort of Archie Bunkerish dad persona that he has. Okay. He appeared on the second season of Celebrity Apprentice in 2008. He claimed he, he was quote fired early. Okay. He claims that his relationship with Donald Trump broke down right away because he complained on camera about the lack of bagels on set. <laughs> um, that's from uh, Andrew Dice Clay quote. So who knows? I mean, what the real truth is. But... That's amazing. Um, I hope. I hope that's true. I really, I do too. Apparently, he showed up on set. And it was like five thirty in the morning, and there was sushi on set. And he was like, "What the fuck is this? Like, no one wants sushi. Where are the bagels?" Like, I mean, like, I'm I sure would've... there are. I'm sure there are people who want sushi, but also like a bagel. I would have for sure wanted the bagels, but I might have like put the sushi on the bagels. Like, I love both, like all of it. But anyway, that's me. <laughs> he had a bit of a comeback in the 2010s. Uh, he appeared in the movie Blue Jasmine. Uh, with Kate Blanchett. Woody Allen film was kind of before the downfall of Woody Allen. It was significant. He was he was critically praised. It was significant because it was a primarily dramatic performance. Mm. I've never seen it because I don't watch Woody Allen movies. He also had a guest role in 2016 on the uh, Martin Scorsese-produced music industry drama on HBO Vinyl, which I never watched. I heard it was good, but I think it was only on for like a season or something. Yeah, I don't even remember that show. I remember it. I remember that it existed, but I don't, I never watched it. Yeah. 
Um, and then his probably his biggest thing that people would know him about now, like I uh, said, is he appeared as Lady Gaga's father in A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. and he received rave reviews for that. And like I said, he's still he's like sort of he'll have these moments where it's like oh he's leaving the dice man behind, but then he like goes all dice man again. Yeah. So like in 2019, there's a New York Times profile that kind of came in the aftermath of Me Too. Um, and he actually claimed in this profile that he experienced his own incidents of sexual harassment and even sexual assault. He said early on in his career, he was asked to sleep with older casting agents. And then he also talked about a, one instance where a fan put his hand down his pants, like shoved his hand down Injudice Clay's pants uninvited. Wow. He, he says, quote, I now know how a woman feels when they're touched by a stranger inappropriately. Now there are so many accusations, it becomes like, okay, me too. I'm starting the hashtag me three movement. But then he also says, like, you know, it's very hard to explain dice. I call myself 50 Shades of Dice. There are parts of what's on stage that's real. I did smoke. I am from Brooklyn. I do have certain views on relationships. He says, but my personal life has always been more important than my professional life. I don't care if I had 100 Academy Awards. I wanted to be there for my boys and to bring them up right. Hmm. And the thing is, like, this profile, this New York Times profile is not an, like, unsympathetic profile. Right. But then he got all pissed off about it. And like Yahoo News is like, oh, he was calling it fake news after the fact. And that's the last thing I heard about him. Because they said something about, they talked about how he did some show that wasn't sold out. And he was like, they didn't explain that this time of year, like nothing ever sells out, blah, blah, blah. So fake news. I'm like, dude, just, I don't, I don't know what to say about you. Like, you're just yeah. disappointing. You're just, yeah. Like, I don't think he's like the most evil guy in the world, but you're just disappointing. You're just, yeah. I want Man. better. Like, I want better from you, and you're not good. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And look, like, not to like belabor it, you know, but like, you know me. I'm a very like pro free speech. I'm not super into like canceling people for like for everything, I guess. Yeah. But like, I mean, his, I'd forgotten how fucking nasty his act was back in the day. Yeah. Like, I remembered all the, like, Little Miss Muffets. Yeah, no, it was. I'd forgotten how. It was, yeah, it was was nasty. Grotesque, some of it was. Like, I watched clip after clip after clip of it. And like I said, most of it, I was like, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to pick one or two things to quote so people know. But, like. Yeah. We don't need, like, that's all you need. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I do think it's like, yeah, it's just, it just shows that, like, Trump isn't anything new this has been with us for yeah he's on that comedy store special um Mm. which i think is on showtime right so if you have a if you have showtime or paramount plus and i think if you have showtime or paramount plus you can go and watch it in there and i think it's just called the comedy store that's right yeah and uh the thing that i think was the most shocking in seeing him in that is that he just he seems so tiny like I would have guessed that, you know, when he was Andrew Dice, I would have been like, oh yeah, that guy's like six feet tall. Mm-hmm. He's a big ass dude. And he is just, he's like, he's little, you yeah. know, he just looks small. I mean, I think he's muscular, but you know, he's older now. So, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I don't, I don't think he was ever tall. I think they're like, I've seen pictures of him next to other celebrities. And it's like, oh yeah, no, he was not a tall person. Yeah. But, you know, wow. it's the way he kind of presented himself. And yeah. and the other thing that's always fascinating, whenever I see him interviewed, and even back in the day, there were, like, these odd interviews where it's, like, he could be very, like, soft-spoken and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. But then he would just immediately, like, all of a sudden, it'd be, like, the next time you see him, he's just 
Ben Diceman, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway. uh, yeah. I was just, I, I've always been kind of fascinated by him, but I never, I was never a fan. And then that dark side of comedy thing just made me kind of want to do a deep dive. Cause I was just like, God, I forgot how just awful that act was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, there you go. So you know, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, okay, so for my story, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to start with a question for Scotty and for for you listeners at home. Okay. What do what does Odin, a Greek bishop, and George Washington's mom have in common? Whoa, Odin, a Greek bishop, mm-hmm. and George Washington's mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like the start of a dirty joke, but I, I know, don't it does, think right? that's where you're going with it. <laughs> It does. I have no idea. They are all wrapped up in the history of Christmas traditions. Oh, okay. So that is what I'm going to be talking to you about today. Sources for this are Wikipedia, the History Channel, The Guardian, NPR, a portion of the of the PBS website called and you you know I gotta love this, the History Kitchen. Mm, yeah. Uh, and CNN.com. Okay. So we're gonna start with the Yule log. This was a specially selected log burnt on a hearth. It was a winter tradition in regions mm-hmm. of Europe and subsequently North America. But before we get into the burning of the Yule log, what the hell is Yule? Yeah. <laughs> it is a winter festival historically observed by the Germanic people, and it got wrapped up into Christmas during the Christianization of the Germanic people, which happened, it was spread out over a uh, a while it started in late antiquity and mm. you know spread throughout the early middle ages some scholars believe that yule is connected to something called the wild hunt mm. yeah the god odin and the pagan Mo- oh gosh i Mojrangnicht or mother's night which is an event that is held on what is now known as christmas eve So the Yule log, along with other Yule traditions, there is uh, stuff like the Yule boar, the Yule goat, and wassailing, are believed to be ultimately uh, derived from Proto-Indo-European religions. Mm. This is probably not going to be a shock to Scotty or really probably anybody who listens to our podcast, but most Christmas traditions are deeply rooted in pagan rituals and celebrations. (laughs) Nothing to so. say the wild hunt, I think, is also something that like it like migrated over into Celtic mythology too. I mm-hmm. Think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's oh, well, I'll get to it in a second. So the Yule log dates back to solstice celebrations and mm-hmm. the tradition of bonfires. That like that's a whole thing in and of itself. That a bonfire was not just that people were like, oh, let's build a fa- like let's build a fire. Mm-hmm. Like bonfires have their own right. like tradition and history around them, which is interesting to look into to if you are so inclined. So a log is chosen and a portion is burned each evening until 12th night, which is January 6th. Mm. The log is then placed under the bed for luck and for protection against lightning and somewhat ironically fire. (laughs) 
as the log burns, you're supposed to count the sparks because they symbolize the fortunes for the new year and beyond. That seems difficult. Yeah, but lovely. Yeah. It's also been suggested that uh, telling ghost stories or playing cards is a good way to pass the time while burning your Yule log. I feel like we should do that. Yeah, we should. Absolutely. We should get a Yule log, count some sparks, tell some ghost stories. That sounds Yes, like, we absolutely like should. Yes. Yeah. American folk folklorist, which again, fantastic job. Uh But American folklorist Linda Watts says that the Yule log is a, quote, emblem of divine light that features in many winter holiday customs. So I guess I think to also understand, like when we're talking about winter in olden days, like the Mm. days are getting shorter. It's not a time of harvest. Like everybody's kind of buckling down. And while it is not a hibernation in the way that like bears hibernate, it is like a coming inside right you know nesting for for like these long dark winter months so yeah like she says that you know burning the yule log is is i think sort of there's like there will be a spring at the end of this winter yeah Okay. Many European uh, countries have their own variations of what they do with the Yule log. And this is just a couple of them. The list was involved. Mm-hmm. But in France, this also varied like by region, like region to region in France. But they all had their Yule log. And eventually, I guess they got tired of burning the Yule log. And they just said, fuck it. We're just going to make a log shaped cake called a bouche de noel and we're just gonna eat that and that's gonna be our yule log like we're not we're not doing i'm all in support of just you know turning anything into an opportunity to eat cake so you have you seen a bouche de noel it's fucking adorable it's adorable like it's it's a cake that looks like a log and they'll do like the little like like you know like where little branches were coming off and the frosting is done so that it looks like bark they'll usually cover it with like edible moss and they make like little mushrooms out of meringue and so it's adorable they're adorable Uh, and i believe it's like a swiss roll cake right it's like a rolled cake yeah i fully fully endorse this tradition yeah they're adorable the catalan people of spain have something that they call tío de nadal this is where they take a log they hollow it out They stick some legs on it and they adorn it with a little red hat and a nose and the children feed the log before Christmas and then they cover it with a blanket and they beat it with sticks until Tio basically shits out the candy and the gifts that he had been fed. I think I endorsed this tradition too. (laughs) What's funny too is that nowhere was it like until they fall out until like all of it is like no he he like he defecates he them out. out. Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious. <laughs> In Montenegro, a piece of bread is put on the log and it's also sprinkled with wine. Mm. In the Balkans, the log is smeared with fowl or goat blood, and mm. the ashes might be strewn on the fields to promote fertility uh on New Year's Eve. Interesting. In the US, a local New York TV station broadcast a six-minute loop of a Yule log burning <laughs> in a fireplace for several hours. That's, yeah. This is in the 60s. The original was filmed in Gracie Mansion, which is the mayor's mansion, and it was filmed on 16 millimeter film. It was aired in full color on December 24th, 1966 at 9.30 p.m. A new loop was filmed in 1970 on 35 millimeter film, and the Yule Log is still broadcast today every year for four to five hours every Christmas morning. 
That's I mean that's kind of cool. I I do love that the American tradition, like everywhere else, is like we spread goat blood on the blood for for. This one's like we put it on TV. We put we it, on TV. it. We put it on TV. <laughs> it's like that's very American. There we go. Yeah, it's very American. Advent calendars. Mm. So the season of Advent dates okay. back. Yeah. Are you gonna? Can you? Uh, this may be something you're already planning, but I've never understood what an advent calendar is. So oh, sure. Can you explain kind of what it is for me? Yeah. So an advent calendar is basically a little calendar that counts down the days until Christmas. Okay. So it's usually, I think you you can find them. They go like either one to twenty four or one to twenty five, and you were supposed to start them on December first. Okay. And so and it's a little, like a it's little a little treat or something. Right? Yeah, it's a little calendar. The ones that we see most commonly usually have like chocolates in them and stuff, but they're ones with like Bible verses and mm. other stuff that I'm going to get into a little okay. bit later on. So that's an Advent calendar. Well, pretty, pretty um, yeah. So the season of Advent, like celebrating the season of Advent dates back to the fourth century and is celebrated by most Christian churches who practice in the Western tradition. Mm-hmm. Advent begins on the Sunday closest to the feast of St. Andrew the Apostle, which takes place on November 30th. And it lasts for the next three Sundays. Okay. Scholars think that it was originally a season of preparation for the baptism of new Christians at the Feast of Epiphany in January. Mm. So it was like this thing that they would do, right, in like preparation for all all the all the new baptisms that they were going to do come January. Right. Eventually, Advent became tied to the coming of Christ and by the by the Middle Ages to Christmas itself. Most Advent calendars these days don't actually cover the whole Advent season. They start on December 1st and go through either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Mm. Because it's one of those things where it's like the Sunday closest to the third, like they were like, we're going to tie it to November or to December 1st and we're just going (laughs) to... Right. This is like the easiest way to do it. Yeah. So Advent calendars originated with German Protestants in the 19th century to mark the days leading up to Christmas. Okay. The first known handmade calendar dates back to 1851. So like compared to the Yule log, yeah. a relatively new yeah. tradition. The printed advent calendar. So before it was like they were little handmade things and that's it would be like little religious images. That's what was in the in the thing. But the printed advent calendar was created by German publisher Gerhard Lang in the early 1900s, who was inspired by the memory of his mother sewing 24 cookies into the lid of a box and then letting him eat one each day of advent. He was like, this is neat, and we're going to make a little calendar out of this. During World War II, the Nazis banned the printing of illustrated calendars, because I guess there was a paper shortage, until they decided to rebrand Christmas with their own Third Reich. This just ruined everything. Stuff. Yes. They did make Third Reich advent calendars, complete with swastikas, to be distributed to moms and kids, which is just creepy. It's just yeah, creepy. Yeah, it's not, not a... It's not a fun thought. No. President Eisenhower popularized advent calendars in the U.S. when a picture was published in a newspaper, well, in several newspapers, of him opening one with his his grandchildren in 1953. 
that's cute. Cadbury got in on the game in 1971 and started filling them with chocolates. Okay, that's where the chocolate comes from. Mm-hmm. Today, you can find advent calendars filled with wine, whiskey, makeup, jam, jewelry, beef jerky, socks, pet treats, tea, cheese, coffee, and more. <laughs> I, I remember it was like two, three years ago, some influencer that I was following, I can't remember who, was like every day on Instagram had an advent calendar that like each day was a different super fancy scotch. And I was like, oh, I wow, that one. I, I've never wanted an advent calendar before, but I really Well, funny you mention influencer because in 2021, luxury brand Chanel released an $825 advent calendar. It was shaped like a giant bottle of Chanel number five. And it enraged customers because it had a couple of things that were cool, which was like had some Chanel hand cream, like a little lipstick, a nail polish. All of them were sample size. So they're not even travel size, but sample size. So like the nail polish, you could maybe do one manicure with. I feel like, I can't remember if you talked about this on an episode. or I don't know that I, I don't know if I talked about it on an episode, but I probably, because I I was. You telling me about this. I was shocked. Yeah. And then the rest of it was stuff like stickers and like that kind of money like what the fuck (laughs) yeah like who wants to spend 820 who wants it who who's interested in the brand chanel is like ooh a chanel sticker yeah like what do you like you're gonna slap that on your laptop like bad other things that were in there were like a mini slow uh snow globe and then this i think is probably the most well no there was a rope bracelet that like the charm on the bracelet was a wax stamp that had like the Chanel logo on it like the two the interlocking C's just like a competition for the lamest things they could come up with yeah and this is actually the thing that I saw it and I was like this is bad and this is the thing that like people were pissed about a Mm. Chanel dust bag like the thing that you put shoes in yeah Yeah, like people were pissed yeah like that's literally something you should just get a target or something yeah it's something that should come like most designer handbags come with a dust bag so it's one of those things that it's like did you just have extra dust bags that you were like well here i mean that really is just like kind of a big fuck you to your customers Yeah. yeah yeah Like $825. Did they ever respond to the backlash? Probably not. They were probably just like, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Chanel. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) You know? Yeah. People were super pissed. Um, It is believed that advent calendars are a way of drawing out the time and the holiday spirit. Mm. It's like a nice little thing to like count down the days, right? I mean, it, it sounds like for Christians, it's their version of like doing like what we do for Hanukkah. You know, it's just like. Yeah. You get, you get like a day, you light, you know, we, we light our little candle and then we get a little treat, we get a little present. Yeah. It's like kind of fun. Yeah. It's a, like, I think that that's a really good way to this, this idea of like making the holiday season, like last a little bit longer, I think is like a, a lovely sentiment. Yeah, I like it. Gingerbread houses. Mm. So ginger I was first cultivated. Uh oh. You're talking about cake, first... and then I'm talking about gingerbread. And... I know, I know. <laughs> I don't talk. I don't talk about. Well, we'll I'll get. We'll get through it. Okay. So ginger was first cultivated in ancient China, mm-hmm. made its way to Europe via the Silk Road, 
obviously. Uh-huh. The Middle Ages saw it used as a way to disguise the taste of preserved meats, mm. which makes sense because ginger's pungent. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Henry VIII thought it would keep the plague away. And even today it is used to treat nausea, nausea and other tummy bugs. It's great for a sore throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first, it's also, depending on how you take it, real good for the sinuses. Mm-hmm. The first known gingerbread recipe actually dates back to Greece, 2400 BC. There are also Chinese recipes that were seen in the 10th century. And by the late Middle Ages, Europeans were actually like going nuts, making their own versions of gingerbread. The hard cookies were decorated with golden leaf. Like they were gilded with golden leaf Mm. and they were shaped like animals and kings and queens. And they became all the rage at medieval fairs in England, Holland and Germany. Okay. Gingerbread houses popped up in 16th century Germany, of course, Uh and they quickly became a Christmas tradition. This is a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing, but... A little bit of a chicken or the egg thing, and then I'll explain. (laughs) So the houses became even more popular after the brothers Grimm wrote Hansel and Gretel, where the two characters stumble upon a house in the woods made of treats. German bakers started making, then started making these ornately decorated gingerbread houses. Gingerbread came to America with the colonists. There was stuff where I saw that like they came over with British colonists. And then there was other stuff I saw that said they came over with Pennsylvania German immigrants. Okay, But it was all around that time. The first American cookbook, American Cookery by Amelia Simmons, which I believe I mentioned in the Thanksgiving episode, has three recipes for gingerbread, including a soft variety, which is baked in loaves. Mm. So this this soft version was super popular in America, so much so that George Washington's mom served her recipe to the Marquis de Lafayette when he visited her. Ah. The recipe, which would become known as gingerbread Lafayette, was passed down through generations of Washingtons. Interesting. Who are the Washington descendants? Are they still around? I mean... That's a good question. Like, I, I don't feel I like, feel like we, they have to be. Yeah, we didn't purge them at any point. Like, no, I mean, it's like, I guess it's possible that the, like, the line died out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, now I'm curious. Same. Like, I was like, I need to look into this. Yeah. No, I have um, no idea. Yeah. Because also get let me get that my hands on that soft gingerbread recipe. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, the restaurant Super Salad? Yes. So Super Salad, after you did the salad bar, you would hit up like the soup bar. Uh-huh. And at the soup bar, it was like soup, baked potatoes. And then they had trays of like blueberry bread and uh-huh. this gingerbread. I remember the gingerbread. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was like thinking about it a while ago. And I was like, there's got to be a copycat recipe on the internet somewhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, th- the- I think I may have found one, but I didn't make it. I feel like Super Salad was around. Because there was like, I remember not long ago driving by somewhere and I was like, there's a super salad. I was like, I hadn't seen one in like 20 years or something. Um, it was probably when we were driving through Oklahoma or something. Probably, probably. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there aren't, there might be like one in Albuquerque. But I remember they were like 
all over. I loved, well, shit, I if, loved super salad. I was gonna say, if there's a super salad left in Albuquerque, you and I need to do nostalgia. <laughs> Let's <trip>. go. <laughs> so gingerbread makes a, a perfect cookie for decorating because it is a very sturdy cookie and it right. bakes flat. Yeah. So like you kind of, it makes sense that you would be like, well, I can build this into a house with some like frosting. Right. Uh, gingerbread house decorating has become a staple at Christmas markets around the world. There is, uh, I'm sure it's several, but there was a travel company that my family has taken some trips with and they have like a Christmas, I think it's a river cruise where you basically go to all of these like Christmas markets in Europe. And I was like, I'm not super interested in Europe in the winter, but that is a thing that is like, that was, I was like, that's fascinating. I would go for that and for the Krampus. Yes. Those two things would be worth going to Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2013, a group in Bryan, Texas, broke the Guinness World Record for making the largest gingerbread house. It was 2,520 square feet. So you could actually live in it. Yeah, it's bigger than my house. Like significantly bigger than my house. (laughs) It had an estimated uh, caloric value of 35.8 million calories. (laughs) It took 2,925 pounds of brown sugar, 1,800 pounds of butter, 7,200 eggs, and 7,200 pounds of flour. It was created to fundraise for a hospital trauma center. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, that sounds wasteful, but. That's a good cause. So, so yeah, I think that was kind of the thing. And like, I have been, I've been in a couple of hotels. One of them was in fact, a Disney hotel where they set up. I don't think it was, I mean, it wasn't the size of a house, but it was the size of like a playhouse. Uh It's a, you know, a life-size gingerbread house and it was all edible. And I feel like someone asked like, what happens to this afterwards? And I think they were like, the employees get to eat it. Like it's stale because it's been out here for a bit, but. But we like, eat it. Yeah, yeah, we get to eat it. Uh, it was something like that that I was like, oh, weird. Yeah. Isn't that like a tradition on the Great British Baking Show? Is like they always do like one episode where they do like a gingerbread house episode. Or did they only do it one time? I don't remember it being a tradition, but also I watched Great British Bake Off early days of pandemic, Uh so I don't remember. If it is, let us know in the comments. I remember, I just remember one where they were doing like very ornate gingerbread houses and like one poor lady's just completely fell apart. Heartbreaking. 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 Okay, let's get into some St. Nicholas traditions. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so St. Nicholas of Myra was an early Christian Greek bishop from Myra, which is in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Okay. He is the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people. Scotty, you and me, uh, and students. I was going to say, like, don't just look at me. (laughs) Scotty. um, (laughs) And let's see, where was it? Oh, and he uh, apparently St. Nicholas had a habit of secretly giving gifts, which led to this idea of Santa Claus. Okay. Um, So Christmas stockings, like why you hang stockings on the chimney for Christmas. Uh So this is actually kind of dark 
FYI. So popular legend says that St. Nicholas was staying with a poor family and heard that the father was going to sell his daughters into sex work to save them from starvation. St. Nicholas, knowing that the father was too proud to accept charity, left the house in the middle of the night and threw three bags of gold through an open window. One of those bags landed in a stocking that was hung by the fireplace to dry. The next morning, the family discovered the the gold and the girls were overjoyed being saved from their sad fate. Wow. That is dark. It's dark. Yeah. Um, be- because also I will say that all of the stuff I saw, they're all referred to as girls, as like girl children. Like you know not, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like nowhere. Yeah. Like nowhere near, like not even teens, I think. Right. Do you want to hear how I uh, discovered the Santa Claus isn't real? Because it involves <laughs> a stocking. <laughs> how? I was like, I was already suspicious. And we didn't, we, you know, being that we were Jewish, we didn't make, tend to make a big deal about Christmas, but my parents kind of like, kind of went through the motions when I was young. I and mean, I remember we had some stockings and we hung them up. And, and uh, like, my dad was like, okay, well, I think trying to get me to go to bed. was just like, well, you don't go to bed now. You know, Santa's not going to come. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I go to bed and I'm like laying there and I'm waiting. And I'm like, and I think I put out the cookies for Santa and everything. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And it's like one in the morning and like the light goes, I hear footsteps and the light goes on in the living room. And I'm like, That's Santa. Santa. I'm like, well, I was like, it's either Santa where it's my dad, like pretend. Like, I was, I was like, I was like, I need, to, I need to like confirm one way or the other. So I go up and I throw the door open, and sure enough, it's my dad. And he's like sliding a He-Man action figure into the stocking as I open the door. He just looks at me with like sausage, like eyes, the like, size yeah. of like sausage plates, and I was just like, uh huh, and like go back to bed. <laughs> 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 and that's how I found out Santa one isn't real. <laughs> I don't, I know my parents did the whole thing, but I don't remember finding out that Santa wasn't real. So whatever happened and whenever I found out, it wasn't a traumatic event. I don't remember being real upset. I just remember being like, we can stop with this farce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... This idea of like St. Nicholas throwing the gold in uh, led to kids hanging just their regular socks or even putting out just their shoes out by the fireplace so that Santa could leave them a little something extra, right? Because that's also the thing too, right? Is that it's like you get the tr- you get the presents and the Christmas tree and then little extra stuff in the stockings. Right. In some versions of the story, the bags, like the bags that he tossed of gold were filled not with coins, but with little gold balls. Interesting. And that is what leads to the tradition. You might not know this, but that's what leads to the tradition of putting oranges in Christmas stockings. Oh, I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. Huh, okay. Mm-hmm. Additionally, also three gold balls is like the symbol for pawnbrokers. Huh. And of which St. Nicholas is the one, the patron saint. It's one of the yeah. many things he's the patron saint. Yeah, of. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, actual Christmas stockings started being made to replace just like your old socks hanging (laughs) on the mantle. Right. Now they are like, you can get all sorts of uh, stockings. You can find like stockings for your pets and stuff too. There's also some who believe that stockings originated. This is again, they originated from Odin. Kids would place their boots filled with straw, carrots, or sugar near the chimney to feed Odin's flying horse. 
And mm. Odin would thank the kids by leaving their boots full of gifts or candies. Okay. Uh, I will say that claim is unsubstantiated, but interesting nonetheless. I have a question about the flying horse, but I don't want to interrupt. So we'll get there later. No, go ahead, because I'm moving on to a different thing. Okay, well, I just wonder, because I have heard, and you may be getting to it, I've heard that there's a connection between the flying horse and the reindeer. I'm sure there is, because it seems like also a lot of this, there's a lot of winter traditions that are tied to Odin. And so I think like Odin, St. Nicholas, the flying horse, everything just got like mushed together. And then it was Santa Claus and his reindeer. Okay. Have you seen that thing that's been going around social media where it says that male reindeer shed their antlers in the winter? So all of the reindeer pulling Santa's sled are, are female reindeer? I have not seen that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a biologist. <laughs> Christmas lights. So there is a story that says that Martin Luther was out wandering the woods one night Mm. when he saw the stars twinkling through the branches of the trees. Mm. And intent on creating the on recreating this magical experience, he cut down a small fir tree and decorated it with candles in his home. This is actually the origin of the Christmas tree, but it's Mm. closely tied to Christmas lights as well. Oh, interesting. I always thought the Christmas tree was also a pagan thing, but that's what I don't. I, I'm probably, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, again, story goes that Martin Luther was like, that's so pretty. Let me do them. Yeah. And probably Odin like came down and impregnated <laughs> a woman right. as a twinkle light in a tree or some shit. Sure. Okay. <laughs> as, uh, as time progressed, the candles came to symbolize Jesus as the light of the world mm-hmm. and candles, actual real candles would be glued to a cut tree with uh, bits of melted wax. And those were eventually replaced by little like teeny tiny little candle holders that would clip onto the branches. That happened around 1890, which I'm sure was like so beautiful, but like- Extremely dangerous. (laughs) Massive fire hazard, massive, massive fire hazard. The first known electrically illuminated Christmas tree was the creation of Edward H. Johnson, who was an associate inventor of Thomas Edison. While Johnson was VP of Edison Electric Light Company, he had Christmas tree bulbs made just for him. His tree, which was decorated with 80 red, white, and blue incandescent light bulbs the size of walnuts, was displayed on December 22nd, 1882 at his home on Fifth Avenue in New York City. Uh That had to have been a sight to see. Yeah. By 1900, businesses started putting up lights on their buildings for the holidays, But the tradition remained something that was really only done by businesses because Christmas lights were too expensive for the average person. And not Uh, the actual Christmas lights, but the electricity that it took to run them Uh, was too expensive for the average person. Electric lights wouldn't become the norm in homes until 1930. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 1895, Grover Cleveland lit the first electrically lit Christmas tree at the White House. Grover Cleveland, of all people. Grover Cleveland, you yeah. know? I mean, that guy didn't last long, but he did something. At least. You know, he did something. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the one that it's like he, like he is actually, like probably he was actually the worst president? Um, well, Buchanan. Is it Buchanan? Is that the one that I'm thinking of? Well, I, let's see. Oh, I was confusing Grover Cleveland with Garfield. Garfield is the one who died oh. because he got shot. 
Grover Cleveland is the one who was elected, lost re- a re-election, and then elected again later. Okay. Like, who died because they didn't wear a coat at their inauguration? That was William Henry Harrison, who I hey. might be related to, supposedly. Okay. On my mom's side of the family. Uh, okay. Buchanan is often pointed to as being the worst president. But also, I think like there were several around both before and after Lincoln that were terrible. Like, I know Andrew Johnson right after Lincoln yeah. was awful. Yeah. But um, I mean, I guess I should say this. Not because Johnson was terrible because like he was like a bad human being. The mm. one I'm thinking of was that it started, it came out when Trump was in office that it was like, yes, Trump is very bad, but there was a president who was like even more I'm gonna get I'm gonna get shot for saying this. Like even more bumbling, like even more of a buffoon. Well, Warren Harding was and maybe it's Harding. Harding was like I mean, there was like so much corruption in Harding's administration. But he himself was just kind of like, like yeah. He, he was just like putting all his like old childhood friends in like key positions, and then they were just like robbing the treasury blind. I think maybe that's like who I'm getting thinking drunk of. Drunk and sleeping with his mistresses and stuff. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, no, he okay. was not good. <laughs> okay, well, anyways, no Grover Cleveland. That's Grover who Cleveland. did this. Okay. I know nothing about him other than that he was yeah. president. Yeah, president. Okay. In 1963, a boycott of Christmas lights occurred in Greenville, North Carolina, to protest segregation that prohibited Black people from being employed by downtown businesses in Greenfield. Mm. The Black Christmas boycott led to only six houses in the Black community having Christmas lights that holiday season. Mm. I wonder what the story was with those six houses. Yeah, right. Six is a weird number. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Christmas lights are notoriously hard to recycle. Mm -hmm. And the old models were also dangerous because they would like, you know, you put them in this dry tree, they'd warm up, they catch the tree on fire. Additionally, people would plug too many strings into one extension cord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And lots and lots and lots of people had accidents due to unsafe ladder practices during installation. I, I can imagine that mm-hmm. that seems like lots of falling off of roofs and yeah, hanging onto gutters and stuff. Yes, yeah. exactly. Most new Christmas lights are now LED bulbs, which are considerably safer, but does yep. not eliminate the ladder risk, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like you still need to be able to operate a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugly sweaters, uh, which is timely. So this is actually a really new Christmas tradition. Mm -hmm. Ugly sweaters started out as jingle bell sweaters in the 1950s, and they seem to be a nod to the holiday's growing commercialization. They they weren't like as tacky as the ones that you find. They looked more like alpine sweaters, like ski sweaters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Ugly sweaters started to show up in movies like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Bridget Jones's Diary. The Christmas ugly sweater party started to kick off in the early 2000s with the first one taking the first known one taking place in 2002 in vancouver british columbia so we technically have canada to blame for (laughs) the ugly sweater tradition brian miller who's the co-author of the book ugly sweater party book the definitive guide to getting your ugly on (laughs) believes that quote the moment someone wore the garment in a humorous way people started seeing 
seeing the comic side of it and thinking this thing at the back of my closet could be fun instead of something awful that nobody wants. It became our generation's mistletoe, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. And he's right. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I will say like, it's funny because as a horror fan and as a heavy metal person, like the way that they found to market ugly sweaters to different groups, because like, the amount of like horror ugly sweater ads oh, yeah. I get where it's like Freddy Krueger ugly sweater mm-hmm. or it'll be like a like a Slayer ugly sweater that like they keep trying to sell to me on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, our uh, Albuquerque mayor, Tim Keller, has, I think it's a Slayer ugly sweater. I think it is a Slayer one. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's either <laughs> like Slayer he... Antax. I don't remember, but yeah. yeah maybe both. <laughs> right. Who knows? Um, in 2007, <laughs> Stella McCartney released a polar bear ugly sweater, and it was not technically ugly. Givenchy followed in 2010, and Dolce and Gabbana the year after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, celebrities like Taylor Swift have been spotted wearing ugly sweaters, and Jimmy Fallon even has a yearly segment on his show called 12 Days of Christmas Sweaters. Mm-hmm. Also, again, Duke City Repertory Theater does the ugly sweater review. Right, I love that name so much. That name came courtesy of my brother. <laughs> he helped us name that show. This one's also close to home, Luminarias, mm-hmm. also known as Farolitos. Mm-hmm. Luminarias are a traditional Christmas decoration specific to the Southwest United States, even more specifically New Mexico, where it is a cultural hallmark of the Pueblos and Hispanos of the state and part mm-hmm. of New Mexico's distinct heritage. Mm-hmm. For anybody who doesn't know what a luminaria or a farolito is, that is a small votive candle that is placed inside of a paper bag with a little bit of sand in the bottom. And I think that they are absolutely charming. Like, oh, I love, oh my God. Can I, can I make it a, just a general blanket global admission? Sure. It's like, you want to uh, be vulnerable yet brave on the podcast? I'm going to be vulnerable <laughs> yet brave right now. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like being the the like hardcore metal, not really uh, person that I am. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I see it with like, on like horror Instagram and stuff. People being like, oh my God, spooky season's over. Now we have to deal with Christmas season and all these memes about like, ew, gross Christmas season. I kind of love Christmas season. Yeah. I I like, I don't love all the music. Some of the music, like going to the mall and CVS and stuff does get old, but I love luminarias. I love Mm. Christmas lights. Yeah. Yeah. I love Christmas trees. I love gingerbread houses. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like my family never really did that much of it, but we did kind of enough. And then it was always a tradition where we would like drive around you know and look at the yeah. because they were there's always a couple of streets in los alamos and also if you go down to espanola they do it where they turn mm-hmm. off the street lights and you can see the luminarias lined up along yep. the sidewalks and along people's houses and like i do love this time of year like yeah i don't care if it's not metal <laughs> and i don't frankly don't care if it's not jewish i kind of <laughs> <love> it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's actually very metal for you to like luminarias. <laughs> I think that's absolutely on brand. Higher, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think that they're really beautiful in Albuquerque. You can do, oh, I mean, I'm assuming it's back on. I know they put it on pause for COVID, but you can, so there's an area in Albuquerque around the country club and the country club is if not a hundred, if not over a hundred years old, it is a hundred years old. Mm. So the houses down there are old. A lot of them are like, there's a lot of really cool, beautiful, like Spanish mission style homes down there yeah, and everything. Uh, 1910s, 1920s. Yeah. Really like lovely homes. And that entire neighborhood decorates with luminarias and the city does a tour. Cause I think people used to just like drive and walk and like people were getting <laughs> 
fucking hit by cars and shit. And the city was like, <laughs> absolutely not. Right. We're going to take all of the city buses. You can buy a tour. And I think the tours were like eight, eight, 10, eight, 20, eight, 30, right. like they were leaving and they just go slowly around this neighborhood. So you can look at all of the luminarias that are out and it's yeah. absolutely lovely. Okay. So apparently in Northern New Mexico, Luminaria is the term used for a small bonfire, mm. and a farolito is the term for the paper lanterns. This is according to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia was like, Northern New Mexicans get feisty about this. I've heard, I've never, and like, I know that there's fights over the term, and I've never understood which is which, and I mm -hmm. just, like, I back out, I back out of it. Right. Because like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. <laughs> so usage of these little paper lanterns uh, dates back to Spanish to the Spanish colonial period. Mm -hmm. And the word is derived from the Latin luminaire, a light or lamp burned in the Jewish temple and in Christian churches. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting like blend of a lot of different things here. The use of paper lanterns during the Christmas novena, which is a devote was, was devotional praying, right. originates from the similar parole tradition in the Philippines, which use lanterns made with bamboo and Japanese paper. Huh. These lanterns were introduced to New Spain via the Manila galleons. Oh, that mm -hmm. makes sense. It, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So luminarias actually come from the Philippines. the Philippines. Yeah. Which is wow. like, that was brand new information to me. I yeah. Thought I never would have. I never would have that. Roman Catholics hope that the lights of the luminarias will guide the spirit of the Christ child to one's home. That's why mm -hmm. they are put out. Yeah. Uh, Santa Fe and Albuquerque both have impressive luminaria displays, one of which I just told you about. Throughout the holiday season, the University of New Mexico hosts the annual Hanging of the Greens tradition with over 14,000 luminarias. They right. also have, uh, they serve hot pozole and there's carol singing. So that's mm -hmm. lovely. Not to be outdone, New Mexico State University in Las Cruces holds Noche de Luminarias in early December, which features over 10,000 luminarias across the campus. There's also, and I forgot to write down the name of the university, but there's a, uh, a little college in Farmington that apparently has over 30,000 luminarias. That they oh, what is that little college? Yeah, I know that. I don't know that. It's got, college, yeah. and I feel like it has like, it's like a person's name. It's like Smith. Right something or I don't something, know, something yeah. like that. Uh, luminarias also show up in Utah, Arizona, California, Colorado, and as far away as Illinois, Ohio, and Washington. I saw when I lived in Boston, like occasionally you would see, you know, people put up their Christmas lights and then you would see someone would put like a string of the plastic luminarias. I'd yeah. be like, you're in Boston. What are you doing? But like, you know, it's spreading. Maybe, yeah, yeah maybe a transplant. Maybe, and also a, I, yeah, maybe a transplant. Yeah. I imagine that in Boston, the weather is too wet to have actual luminarias. The, the, there's no way you could have an yeah, actual luminaria. They have, they have to be the plastic ones. Right. So there are a lot of other Christmas traditions, stuff like fruitcake, eggnog, poinsettias. The, uh, the story about poinsettias is super interesting because they actually come from Central America. And the Rockettes, Santa's cookies, 
Mm. all sorts of stuff. I did not have time to cover all of them. So consider this a primer on the traditions you might be getting ready to or are already partaking in this holiday season. And that is a brief tale of the history of a few Christmas traditions. No, that's cool. Like I said, I, I've always sort of secretly, not so secretly, actually do really enjoy this kind of season. Yeah. But like I said, I get the only part of it I don't really like is the music. And it's only because it's like you can't escape it. Like, I don't mind the music except for it just ends up being everything. Everywhere. We were, like, <laughs> we had put, I think this was maybe last night when I had the cast over. I was like, okay, well, you know, it's like, it's like an ugly sweater party. Like I'm going to put some Christmas music on and a lot, it was like pop Christmas, but then something came on and I was like, this is like a little too churchy. Like it's a little too like reason for the season type of stuff that I was like, I'm, we're going to, we're just going to move to like 2023 pop hits right? and just have that on as like the background music. Um, do you, this is always an interesting question to ask. Do you have a favorite Christmas song? Carol of the Bells. Carol of the Bells is yeah. awesome. And I is find Carol of the metal, Bells. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, uh, there's something about Carol of the Bells that's even just the ding, 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 that's like a little spooky, mm-hmm. but also very like lovely. Like I like the like the tension between like it's a very beautiful song, but there's something mm-hmm. a little bit not dark about it, but just a little spooky. No, but I mean. The... A little ghostly maybe. Like the end of it, because it's got the alt. I think it's got the altos going ding dong, ding dong, yep, yep. and then the bass comes in with a dong. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a little, it's a mood. Yeah, yeah. Like no, it's, actually, it's actually, definitely a mood. I actually really love Carol of the Bells. Like yeah, that, that's actually like like most Christmas Carol songs. I can like kind of take or leave. Like I don't mm. really have a strong opinion of them, but I actually really like Carol of the Bells. Yeah, Carol of the Bells is a good one. Um. I really love a good silent night. Mm. Like a really good silent night is really lovely. If it's done, yeah, if it's done well, it's actually because that's got a that can have kind of a really like nice melancholy. Yeah. But also very soothing. Yeah, very pretty. And then there's like the stuff that isn't Christmas carols, but like now now I'm completely blanking. But like the stuff that was coming out in like the 1950s. You know, like the Ronettes have like, I think it's sleigh ride and stuff that you're just like, yeah, let's party. Well, and I do love because like there's songs that pop up in various movies. Like uh, I think it's Gremlins where it's like, do you see what I Yes. Yes. I love just because of those connections. Yeah. Also, I'll be home for Christmas. Like I'll be home for Christmas is, is mm-hmm. it's a pretty sad, it's a, it's a very melancholy song, but I think mm-hmm. it's so lovely. What's your opinion on the Mariah? Cause I know this is like the quintessential everyone talks shit about the Mariah Carey. What is it? Uh, All I want for Christmas is you. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you come down on that? I love that song. I think that song is like a great time. And I think that there is like, all I want for Christmas is you Kelly Clarkson's. I think it's underneath the tree. I don't know that one. Jesse J has a version of a song called man with a bag, like sort of like more modern. Um, I mean, versions. yeah. Man with the or bag R&D. is like, um, is a, a older song, but she covered it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's great fun. The thing is, is like, there's not, that much Christmas music. Like people have to make new Christmas music. Yeah. Well, and the problem, I mean, again, I think really the only problem with the Mariah Carey song is the overplayedness that happens. But I, but even that, I think, frankly, gets overstated. It's also a really fun song to sing. 
Mm-hmm. It, like if if you can do it, it's a really really fun song yeah. to sing. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a bit like a marathon sprint. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can so, imagine. yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think you know, but there's also like like there's some great. What is it? Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas and Hollis? Which is yeah. the one that's like. Bam, 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 yeah, bam. There's some Run great. DMC. I. Can't remember. I think it's Run DMC. I think that's Run DMC. There's some like real fun Christmas music from like all of the genres. Oh yeah, there's occasionally like you'll you'll hear a metal version. I'm sure there's. And now I gotta go look for like. There's got to be a good metal version of Kettle of Bells. Out there. there absolutely is. Absolutely, then, there has. I to can't be. remember what the song is. It's so corny, but I do love it. It's when David Bowie and Bing Crosby did that Christmas song together oh, in yeah. the early eighties. Yeah, can't remember yeah, which yeah. one it was but it's just such it's so goofy and so you can tell like Bing Crosby's like I don't know what I'm doing here with this guy but let's do this thing let's do this I also love the which one is it where they all got together and it was like Bon Jovi and like mm-hmm. Michael Jackson like everybody was, got together to do like a hands across America kind like, of do they know it's Christmas or do they I think it might be Christmas? that yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Christmas music hater. Like I'm no. not. I think it's just way too. It's it's a cliche. Like it, it's a like it's it's a, like you talked about like the low hanging fruit. Like it's yeah, it's low hanging fruit to be like you Christmas music. I, I and the thing I think too is that like and part of the reason I know this is because I create the ugly sweater review pre show playlist every year. And there's a lot like Ella Fitzgerald has this is not an unknown song by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination, but Ella Fitzgerald has the what are you doing New Year's Eve song, which is like a fantastic like technically it's about New Year's, but it's a fantastic holiday season mm-hmm. song. Like it's so great. It's a it's like a in a very Ella Fitzgerald way. It's a very like sexy song. Yeah, yeah there's like a lot of like this. St- I'll tell you the stuff that I don't like. And this is <laughs> no shade to the naughty list folks in <laughs> the show, but there's a song called Dominic the donkey that I fucking hate. It's the song that plays when the naughty list comes out. Oh, but yeah. I, I, I loathe <laughs> that song. And every time I hear it, I'm just like, <sighs> I do have to mention because we, we lost someone recently, dearly departed Shane McGowan of the Pogues. Mm-hmm. Have to mention Fairy Tale of New York. Mm. Um, I know it was controversial. He uses a homophobic slur, but in context, He's not being Andrew Dice Clay. It's a story song. It mm. kind of makes sense in context. But it is, I think, the most beautiful, heartbreaking Christmas song of, like, the modern era. It's mm. just, it's it's an incredible song. And Shane McGowan is, like, one of my favorite musicians. So yeah, I have to mention that one. Also, I have to quickly mention, I think one of the reasons I love Carol of the Bells, it just occurred to me, mm-hmm. the very, and you know, the, I can see it on your face, West Wing reference. At the very end of the episode, Noel, yes. leaving the White House, that's the, that's the song. The song that is playing yeah yeah and the season this the episode rather ends with a ding dong ding ding dong dong. yeah um yeah great great use of that song absolutely great use of that song yeah there's a lot of good stuff out there so yeah like i said go check out some stuff dig into some of the you know you might find something interesting if you look into history of some of these songs too who knows yeah yeah 
Excellent. All right. Well, it's 11 We're o'clock taking, at night. Yeah, it's 11 <laughs> so. o'clock at night and we have to go. Thank God this wasn't a spooky episode. Right. Um, we are taking a break mm-hmm. until after the new year. So we want to wish you all of the happy holidays. If you've gotten to this point in the episode, go ahead and you're listening on Spotify, go ahead and smash, give us a five-star rating. And please remember to rate, review, subscribe on all the other listening platforms. We have noticed I've been keeping an eye on the Spotify thing and I see that people are giving us ratings. Thank you all so much. That means the the absolute world to us. We hope you have a safe, happy holiday season. Take care of yourselves. Be good to one another. Stay weird. Stay curious. And we'll see you in 2024. Bye. Bye. Listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true. And that's the weirdest thing.